There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1021, December 4th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say the season is over. One driver is chillaxing somewhere on the Mediterranean. Rest are wondering que paso. And the grid is set for 2024. We shall explain gladly. Now back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Toto officially declares Massey is an idiot. Will George get in the way of LCH and his eighth championship quest? Toto? Max has said that now he does want to race at Le Mans, and uh, he's developing a system to do so. Very, very exciting. And ladies and gentlemen, this week we have Loosh on the Loose from Down Under with his 2023 season review. It's a good one. It's a quickie. Also, this week's interview, an outstanding race driver from US Pro 2000, Michael D. Orlando Extraordinaire. NAS will have all the final details on that, of course, in MM. And we need to remind everybody that we do need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab, and I want to thank... Stephen Boyd, and Joshua Sutter. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Nass, welcome to the studio. I know you're pumped up. It's the off-season, but we're getting so much good, deep information from the bowels of F1. And, of course, the holidays are coming. I know you're pumped. Yes, sir. Uh, Today and for the next few weeks, it's greetings and racing regards from Frederick Maryland. And I am definitely missing Florida where the sun keeps shining through the pouring rain, as per Mr. Nielsen. Good news is, in this day and age of digital connectivity, you are never far from racing activity. I heard the news today, man from Monaco to stay in Maranello. Do you think Charles Leclerc should stay at Ferrari for another five years? I don't know. Why not? He likes it. It's close to Monaco. He speaks Italian. And... He carries it really well. He's like a professional Ferrari driver, driver, if you see what I'm saying. Yes, reports from Italy are suggesting contract extension between Ferrari and Charles Leclerc will be announced soon. It is a very lucrative contract starting at 25 million euros and will be for five years with the escape clause after three years. By that time, Max would have won like what? Six World Championships? His minimum wage in the final year of the contract will be 
50 million euros. I hope he can survive on that in Monte Carlo. Leclerc is number one among drivers with most pole positions, 23, and no championships. Racing reality may be prancing horse in pursuit of a Red Bull all season long in 2024 and 2025. Now rumors from the Roman Hills have Carlos Sainz Jr. being replaced at Ferrari by Lando Norris. I can see Carlito at Audi in 2026 based on family history with the mark. But you know, we're in the off-season, so we're going to have a lot of uh, rumors coming. He is going here, he's not going there, Lewis is retiring. Uh, you know, who knows what will happen. Now, speaking of Toto, the excitement continues after the season is over. Let's see how far this goes. The Mercedes Formula 1 team allegedly aided and abetted a multi-billion dollar fraud at FTX thanks to its lucrative sponsorship deal. Now, this is according to an investor lawsuit, as reported in telegraph.co.uk. Have you heard anything about this, sir? I have indeed. I mean, the guy's parents lives a half hour down the road from my house. Great. Have you seen any FBI activity down there lately? Probably. You know, there's a lot of sneaky stuff going on, and his parents might go to the pokey as well. They might need to read Desiree's book on Penn State. Desiree's book. Wow. Okay, next. Sargent stays on the F1 beat. Main news last week, at least for American fans, was the confirmation from Williams that Logan Sargent will stay with the team for the 2024 season. This is good news uh, for the boy from Boca Raton, as he is very talented. But now with sink or swim to success, there will be no excuses after two seasons in Formula One. And he's obviously much more luckier than uh, Nick DeFries. Sargent's racing achievements include 2015 Karting World Champion, 2017 third in British Formula Four Championship, 2019 third in Macau Grand Prix. And that's a very tough race. 2020 third in European Formula Three. 2022, in his only Formula 2 season, he finished fourth, which is impressive, very impressive, I should say, for a rookie. So the kid is quick. Let's see what he can do in his second year of Formula 1. As always, and with any other driver, we wish him all the best. Sir, are you happy, as an Fellow Amerikanski, that he has been retained by Williams? Yeah, and I wasn't surprised. I mean, let's face it, Williams is American now. They like to have the American. He will improve, hopefully. And he's made some progress. He got that single point. And, and they're willing to leave that those millions of dollars on the table, hoping to recoup at the other side. Yeah, and you know, there's not much uh, real talent available um, right now. I mean, this guy, um, Felipe Drugovic, who was the first Brazilian to win Formula 2 championship, it took him three years. And what I've seen, and you know, best thing to do is give the man a chance and see what he or she can do. But what I've seen, drivers who are taking two or three years or more to win Formula 2, they really don't work out in uh, Formula 1. But let's see what uh, Logan can do. That's very, very true. Very true. And you know, there's a lot of encouraging in the background for Max and Kelly Piquet to maybe you know what I'm saying, have a child. Could you imagine 
a Verstappen and a PK. It could be the craziest, most winningest driver in the world in the future. Yeah, he's going to crash into the wall and still win the race. Exactly. Yes, we need to move on. Uh, the grid is set for the 2024 season, but the writing is on the wall, not only for the 2024, but also the 2025 season. LCH baffled by the pace of Red Bull, a car according to him they have not touched since August. Why would they touch it when one of their drivers keep winning every race? Bad news travel faster than Max. Now Toto Wolff has come out and said, beating Red Bull in 2024 and 25 is against the odds. For me, it's a no-brainer that Max will have five straight championships like Shumi and 70-plus Grand Prix wins by the end of the 2025 season. Since there is no chance of seeing Alonso or LCH as Max's teammate, Sergio Perez or whoever is in the second car will be subjected to the usual season-long Rock Me Amadeus. Mr. Rogers, I know in peaceful dreams you see all roads lead to Nando. Can he stop the Max factor like he did the German factor, a.k.a. Michael Schumacher? Well, to be honest with you, I think this all comes down to what they call driving style. There's a great article on F1.com from Albon describing what Max needs and what he does. And it's a very unique style, to say the least. But that's what it's about. Style. If you're not the way Max is, it's sort of like being wired a, a certain way. So Max is going to be hard to beat anyway. So I don't know. It's very exciting reading all this stuff, getting the background buzz. Fernando, I think, has a good chance because he has an interesting style and the way he likes the front end of the car set up. So it could be fascinating. Yes, sir. Next, party is over for Alfa Romeo. The team that took Nino Farina to the first world championship will not be seen on the grid next season. Their sponsorship and branding on Sauber was in jeopardy as soon as the Audi takeover was announced even though it will not be effective till 2026. Alfa Romeo were reported to be in negotiation with Haas F1. The team is now sponsored by MoneyGram. I guess the rate card has gone up for Haas and Alfa Romeo was unable to reach an agreement with them. Now keep in mind, Haas is powered by Ferrari engine, so there was some hope here. Hate to say this, but this arrangement with Haas would have been a good tie-up and a true representation of Mark's reputation, and that is Alfa Romeo. As Mr. Murray Walker would say in total excitement, It's incredible! We have an Alfa Romeo on the side of the road while the race is still on. And Martin Brundle will say, Murray, Alfa Romeo has ambition ahead of addition, which seems to be his uh, favorite line. And very, very correct. Mr. Rogers, both Alpine and Alfa Romeo have one thing in common, living on past glory. Your two dollars or Dutch marks on this issue. Yes, history, how long you've been around. I mean, and the love of Alfa Romeo. It's always nice to see them on the grid because they were there at the beginning, uh, at least for the first two years, and then Yank. But hey, at least Renault, their past glory isn't that far away. What are we talking, 2006? 2005, 2006, and let's not forget, as an engine builder, 1992, 93, 95, 96, 97, 2010, 
11, 12, 13. Reno has got a big machismo pass that a lot of people are forgetting. So I'm very disappointed with Alpine, but they, it could come together if the economy stays strong and we keep plowing forward. Yeah, Alpha, it, it's tough, but you know, their glory, what, 50 and 51, that was it. So I don't know. And they're part of Ferrari, so they could come back. You never know. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we present Motorsports Mantra, brought to you by Frito-Lay. The story today is the Machismo Menudo, a look at why Alonso is in muddy waters and become hoochie-coochie man of motor racing. Another season has gone by and the man who shot down the Red Baron is still looking for his first win since 2013 and his third championship since 2006. In between, his teammate from the 2007 season has gone on to win seven championships and 103 Grand Prix. Another driver who was only eight years old when Alonso won his first championship has more championships and far more race wins than the hombre from Oviedo. I was thinking the other day, if there was an NFL player with the talent of Alonso, unless he did an OJ, there was no way a top team would not pick him up. Alonso in his 40s is hardly bothered by his current teammate who was European Formula 3 champion and is only 26 years old and in Formula 1 since he was 18. But you loved me, Daddy. Exciting, isn't it? That we still have Fernando and he's back in 2024 to celebrate. It just makes him stronger because of what people conceive or come up with in their silly minds but i'm telling you it's very impressive we're watching it i mean the way he keeps hamilton at bay brazil was so exciting he still has the machismo mojo and that's the only thing that counts i mean we've been ripped off as fans because people are dumb but that's just the way it is and that's very formula one ish very political very mean and mean spirited but i'm happy that the old goats are still hanging in there. They'll be there next year. It, it can only mean good things for moi and the entire Formula One community. How did it go so wrong for the driver who put in what his team owner, Paul Stardart, called qualifying lap in each and every lap of the 2001 Japanese Grand Prix, that unbelievable victory in San Marino in 2005, the end of the season saw him become the youngest world champion at the time. I think it all began on the podium of the 2005 Brazilian Grand Prix. Upon being congratulated by Ron Dennis, Alonso said to him, but you guys are always improving the car. That got Ron's attention and interest in catching a Spanish fly. One thing leads to another. What happens next is what I consider to be the beginning of the end for Machismo. From his junior career, he was supported and managed by Flavio Briatore a supersized barracuda in the piranha pool of Formula One. Only Fernando knows why he would cut a deal with a shrewd operator like Ron Dennis behind Briatore's back. Jacoby and Myers will say business runs on paper. Who knows what the truth is, but as soon as Alonso's cage was rattled by his rookie teammate at McLaren in 2007, he reminded Ron, maybe the correct word is demanded, that he is numero uno. Ron's response was, there is no such clause in your contract. 
Then came the infamous countdown by the physio at Hangaro Ring, and Alonso marching into Ron's office, threatening to inform Max Mosley of his immense texting skills with Pedro de la Rosa. At the end of the season, both McLaren drivers handed the championship to Ferrari's Kimi Raikkonen, and Alonso left the working building. Loose lips sink ships. Alonso's Spanish Armada made some waves. During his Ferrari days, he was asked, what would you like for your birthday? And his response was, somebody else's car. And of course, that did not go down too well with Senor Luca di Montezemolo. Expect the unexpected. Ron and McLaren were hoping to return to winning ways with Honda in 2014. Honda demanded a top-line driver and was willing to pay for his services. The only top-line driver available was Fernando. That photo of Ron Dennis and Fernando Alonso in each other's arms and smiling is a sight to behold. It is as impressive as the photo of Elvis shaking hands with President Nixon in the White House. Little did Ron and Honda know they were signing in for a whole lot of shaking and will soon be checking into Heartbreak Hotel. Honda's entry into the hybrid era turned out to be a serious sick puppy. The engine was not quick, nor was it reliable. Personally, I could not even believe Honda would bring such a DOA power plant to the top echelon of motor racing. There were two drivers in the McLaren Honda team, but it was only one driver who was providing amusement without realizing actions have reactions. The comfort of the beach here in Sao Paulo and one of the most memorable comments ever made during the race by a driver to his team. Adding insult to injury, it was done at Suzuka, a track owned by Honda. Since then, Alonso has been all over. Indy cars, Le Mans, Dakar, back to Renault Group for the third time, now showing his machismoness at Aston Martin, scoring 206 points in the 2023 season to finish fourth in the championship, against 74 points for his teammate Lance Stroll, who finished 10th in the championship. The question is, who has suffered the most? The answer is, like you said earlier, the fans. One can only imagine how many championships Alonso would have won if Toto Wolff had replaced Michael Schumacher with the man who put an end to his championship run and not signed the other guy. Then there was the meeting in the backseat of an Alfa Romeo in the parking lot of Spa with Christian Horner. That did not lead to a contract as Christian Horner was afraid of what he called chaos that would come with Alonso. And here we are today, one of the greatest racing talents of all time, but none of the top teams will give him time of the day.
that was Motorsports Mantra of the Week. That's outstanding. Damn. Boy, I can't wait to hear what Loosh has to say about that. And we'll hear from him shortly. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be back after these brief messages. Hi, I'm Mark Surer, and I say hello to F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. But let me interrupt Nasser real quickly because I'm going to bring in Loosh, who's in the bullpen. Loosh, thank you for your beautiful assessment of season 2023 take it away hello f1 weekly long time clark and nasa thanks for requesting my thoughts on 2023 so here i go lucian byfield with loose on the loose from south australia all right my thoughts on 2023 well uh fernando alonso there you go thank you merry christmas good night <laughs> no 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 Honestly, seeing my favourite and the goat of all goats back at the front was pretty much what saved the season for me, but seeing the mid-season slump from Aston Martin nearly killed me too. Piastri was the other driver that made the season worthwhile. Now, I may be an Aussie, but I am not one of those that follows someone because they are like me. Sadly, we are seeing this more and more in Formula 1, particularly on the gridwalk, and it is in some cases the very thing we are supposed to be against. Anyhow, I cannot be bothered explaining it right now because I'll just be called a racist. And I am not a racist, for I hate everybody equally. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Piastri was and is amazing. To see him give it to Norris, and then for Norris to respond was just incredible. And next year, well, it might be a tense time in that McLaren garage. Bring it on. Nando is great, but Oscar might also be just one of those once-in-a-while talents. They call them generational talents, and I bet Alpine have much regret. Now, to the elephant in the room. Well, I hate domination. I love Formula One. I don't know why sometimes, but I have been addicted since the 80s, and I cannot kick the habit. But I do recall in 1990, at the height of my obsession with Prost, when he won three in a row mid-season in the Ferrari, and I thought to myself, oh, this is boring, even though he was my favorite and my hero. I regretted it pretty quickly, for Honda gave Senna an upgrade, and after Silverstone 90, Senna owned most of the rest of the season, but for a two-race Ferrari resurgence, when Mansell nearly put Prost in the wall at the start in Portugal. Ah, oh, Portugal, the wall, Prost. 88? Senna? Didn't he do the same thing to him? <laughs> the problem with Formula 1, that has always been is that it is never a level playing field, and it never will be. So statistics are useless, and the GOAT thing based on results is just complete rubbish. To see who really is a GOAT, you need to see them in good and bad cars, in competitive and uncompetitive situations, racing at the front and in the mid-pack and at the rear. And for me, Max and Alonso are the only ones of the current crop who truly shine in those conditions, no matter what. Now, regarding Fernando, think of his second stint at McLaren, fighting for 14th or 17th, etc. He still gave it his all, his Minardi debut season too, taking a last place car into the mid to low teens, and his ability to see off his teammates in general. Hmm. Anyway, back to Formula One overall. Well, we're in the Max era now, and while I rate him massively, for he has proved it many times in the seasons where he didn't have a mega car. 
He was winning then, only occasionally, but that was proof that he is a top-draw talent. Now, he is racking up stats based on car superiority and with a teammate not allowed to shine. For when Perez did, he soon had his wings clipped. Oh, Red Bull gives you wings. They only give wings to their favourite driver. See uh, Vettel. Anyway, Weber, Barrichello, DC, Perez, Ricciardo, and so many more know the power of the team rather than the teammate being a bigger factor in performance. You cannot overcome team bias, no matter how talented you are. I think Perez is mega, but if you analyze the last two years, both times he has started the season well, being competitive, challenged Max, then Helmet, Yoss, and Horner all started talking crap in the press, and suddenly Perez is nowhere. I do really believe that Sergio is top draw. What we have seen this year, more than anything, is the psychological angle of pressure, not a loss of talent. But this is the Red Bull way. And it's the Mercedes way, even though Toto will try and tell you differently. You just got to remember about the way he treated Bottas with his absolute promise emphatically in Russia that he would not invoke team orders. Anyway, now he's saying, oh, justice for Lewis, I'm going to make sure he gets the eighth title. Well, that means Russell ain't going to be doing much winning in that team because the team want Lewis to win. All that aside, to win 19 Grand Prix, come second in two others, and have one average finish in the other is just remarkable. When you think of all the things that can and do go wrong, grid penalties, tangles on track, reliability, weather, and on and on and on, but none of it got to Max. He is just mega, the real deal, (laughs) and he has the dodgy personality to go with it. Although, as I've said before, he doesn't pretend to be a nice guy, and I actually respect him for that but I do not like him. Now, all prolific winners get arrogant when they find a place in the sport where they can get away with anything. And this is what we are seeing now with Max. Senna had a brief patch in history like this, Shuey an even larger one, Hamilton an even bigger one again, and now Max has it. We call it the purple patch. One thing that must be recognized regarding Red Bull and Max, this is the first season that Max has actually had a season-long dominant car. That's a fact. I'm not a fanboy, it's just true. Up until 2021, he had never had a car able to win lots of races. And the second he had a car up there with the Mega Merc in 21, he won the season. Oh, yes, 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 the final race. Oh, Michael Massey, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, Ferrari owned half of last year too. Hmm, Hamilton, Senna and Shuey, they all had multiple seasons in the best car by far and with teammates mostly in tow. So, Max and his achievements shine far greater, and worryingly, they might continue for years. (laughs) Don't tell Hamilton! So, 2023, on paper, a boring and predictable season, but somehow I enjoyed it. I just don't know how. Ah, I won my Formula Louche competition for the first time in 11 tries. That helped. We have players from all over the world, and so, yeah, I'm a world champ now. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to milk it. But anyway, this year had so much. Nando, Lando, Piastri, flashes from Ocon, the crazy one, and Gasly too. And what about Albon? Oh, he's exciting. Now, Logan's just been re-signed, and I'm actually glad. I rate him highly, and I think the gravel traps and the walls rate him highly too. (laughs) Another mega driver, though, was Lawson. 
He excites me so much. He needs to be in Formula One. How he doesn't have a drive is criminal. And all because of the big mouth and set of teeth that is a washed-up Ricciardo. I don't know who Danny Boy is sleeping with, but he has clout for some reason, and I just do not understand Red Bull management at all. Red Bull are so intolerant in general, with a list of the slain long enough to write a book. But for some reason, they screw over Perez, then keep him, and then they take a fading Ricciardo over somebody like Lawson. Oh, and they keep Sonoda. The mind boggles. But we know why Sonoda is there. Anyway, God is real. God is good. For Hamilton didn't win a race for two years running. And finally, people are waking up to the fact that while he is a mega beast of a driver, his stats were more about the car than him. Funny how now it is the car that is the problem. But when the car was mega, it was him. Mm. Now, I rate Hamilton highly, despite the things I often say. I just do not fall for stats based on inequality. Yes, yes, yes. Max wouldn't be winning 19 races in a season if in a parity series, but I bet he would win half of them, with Nando and Piastri claiming most of the rest. Oh, Formula One, the hot girl with no personality that we can't take our eyes off. We love and hate her, but we will be back to complain again next year. But secretly, we love it. Finally, I never do this, but I am going to rate my top 10 drivers this year. Here goes. Max. Fernando. Oscar. Now in fourth, Liam. That will shock some. Fifth, Lando. Sixth, Alex. Seventh, Carlos. Eight, Lewis. Nine, Charles. And 10, Esteban. Now, of course, no one will agree with that list completely. But imagine a world where everyone is in the same competitive situation. We would see something truly incredible, and it might be a lot more like my list than the stats currently are. Anyway, thanks for having me back this year. Here's to 2024. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, F1 Weekly Familiar. This is Lucian Byfield in South Australia with Loosh on the Loose. Thank you, Loosh. Okay, Nas, why don't you bring in our USF Pro 2000 driver, D. Orlando? Yes, sir. Interview of the week is with Michael D. Orlando from New York State of Mind. This young man did a Kimi Raikkonen in the 2022 U.S. Formula 2000 Championship. Going into the final three races of the weekend at Portland International Raceway, his chances were as good as Clark Rogers waving the checkered flag for Lane's car at Hickory Half Mile Speedway. Will that ever happen? No, but, you know, if they invite me, I'm, I'm going. Great. You'll hop on the Greyhound? Absolutely, sir. There's nothing like a bus steaming up your, your shorts to make you happy. There you go. Michael did it, and winning the scholarship helped him race in the USF Pro 2000 Series this season. This conversation took place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway a few weeks ago. My thanks to Michael, the driver, and also to Michael Morini, the team PR manager, who has been very helpful all season long and has helped me do quite a few interviews this season. Okay, folks, I'm here with young, tall American racing talent, Michael D. Orlando from New York. Michael, good to meet you. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm uh, enjoying the cold and rainy in the morning Indian weather. Um, <laughs> and I have, you know, I, I have been, uh, I'm coming off a little cold right now. So it's <clears throat> not quite ideal conditions for me. But, you know, a good day in a race car 
is better than any other day. So I'm super happy to be here, and especially with the HMD crew in the Cindy Next car. And uh, yeah, what can I say? It's it's a good day to be. In this Indy. is your first experience in Indy Next. Um, how do you like this car, and what are the main differences from what you drove last year? First of all, it's a lot more powerful. Another like 200 horsepower or so. So it's it def- you definitely feel it, and the turbo def- it kicks in, and you get a lot of power as you especially when you go through like third gear and fourth and you're just really pulling along the straightaway there. So it's definitely a step up for me in terms of just the whole thing. It's a little heavier of a car, but more grip, more downforce, more power. And it's quite the experience. I really love it. And, you know, this is, it's only, I've only been out there for about an hour so far, or an hour and a half. So I'm still getting used to it. Like I said, it's definitely, since it's such a big jump up from USF Pro, uh, <coughs> Yeah, just trying to enjoy it while I can. Learn it, take in everything that I uh, take in everything that I'm told and I, I feel. Uh, I'm trying to be, you know, a sponge of knowledge uh, today. And I mean, that's that's all you can do in this kind of situation, especially you know, just finishing up the season, and you know, we still have another five months to go before the season starts up again in 2024. Just trying to, yeah, you know, take it slow. Okay, Portland 2022. You did what Kimi Raikkonen did in Sao Paulo 2007. Seriously speaking, did you really think you would win the championship in the final round? You know, I, I think I was confident going into that season that I was a championship contender, if not, you know, very capable of winning that season. And then, you know, as 2021 was for me, I finished second in that championship only to Kiko Porto. And I was and going to the final race weekend. I was the only one that could have put up a fight against him. And it was I knew that you come into the final weekend of a racing series, and if you have... A fight for the championship it is you know gloves off 100% and going into Portland even though I had such a deficit in terms of points 26 points down from the lead I knew that with the triple header weekend that was about to ensue I was in a good position saying that the, the two people in front of me were fighting for that position as uh, fighting for that first place as they were so close together and so so close in points that being in the cappers he definitely helped me out in that situation I, I could you know almost sneak up on him in a way right and that's you know tried to maximize everything we could out of that weekend uh, what was it a seventh a fourth and a first and I won the race to finish off the weekend and finish off the season so yeah there was a lot of chaos and unfortunate events to, for other drivers that ensued but you know I think we held our heads uh, as a team me and K Motorsports just kept on pushing and that's all you can do in that situation right so yeah I'm, I'm really proud of that moment and for no there's no point in my entire in that entire season that I doubt that I wasn't able to win the championship so I'm quite happy yeah I think in a situation where you were so many points behind it really is uh, I think a matter of mental strength so it was very impressive and I will never forget I was watching on YouTube uh, how happy you and your family members were so fantastic job did you send Miles Rowe a nice Christmas present uh, I gave him the, this year I gave him this championship in, in, in Indy Pro I guess you know he I took it from him in 2022 and he just had to take it from me in 23 so I know I think I think we're even Steven right now but uh, yeah well this year if I can pull together the funds to race in 2024 for in Indy Next um in any next powered by or by Firestone, then uh, you know we can go at it once again in you know two out of three, right? So if I can, if we can make at it, if we can make it happen, uh, it'll be nice to race against Miles again and see who can come out on top this next season if we are in championship contention. Because I think it's you know down to the wire now. Race uh, 
bitter rivalry, fierce rivalry on the track, does that affect your personal friendship with uh, Myers or other drivers? No, I, I find that I separate my being out of the car from being in the car. Uh, it's like, in a, in a way, it's almost two different personalities. And, you know, I love to... I love to be a good friend to my, my competitors, and especially, you know, unless they're, you know, people I genuinely don't like. Um, Miles is a good friend. I've known him for about maybe over 10 years. Um, so we've we've gone way back. We've raced all throughout our career against each other in karting and then now back in cars. So Miles is a great friend and a great competitor, and I'd love to beat him on the track, but at the same time, I come back in, and we're always super happy for each other if, you know, we could pull something off. If he When he won the championship this year, I was... I was really happy for him. He deserved it, and I think he. I think he would have thought the same when I won in 2022. Obviously, there's a little bit of bitterness saying I took it from him, but being being the friend that I am, I, I couldn't be proud, more proud for him either. No, I saw the first thing you did on the podium was uh, congratulate him. I think it was very classy. Okay, now speaking of this season, I was again expecting a battle royale between you and Miles Rowe. He won three of the first four races. <coughs> And you had a slow start. Uh, what happened there? Was it the driver or the car? You know, I think it was a mix of a lot of unfortunate events. By the end of the fourth race in the season, uh, the fourth race after Sebring, I was 17th in points. I had an incident with my own teammate in race one at St. Pete, and then another incident in race two at St. Pete, an incident at St. Uh, Sebring. All of these, in my situation, there, I don't think there was anything I could have done, and you know, there's a there's a saying, and there's a saying in racing that you know, it's racing. Which I don't want to swear, but shit happens. Uh, so, yeah, are you gonna put that in there? I don't know. <laughs> I can delete it if you want. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's it's racing stuff like that's gonna happen. There, that's better. That's better. <laughs> it's racing stuff like that's gonna happen. So, um, and then you know, race four um, and Sebring, I had a electrical failure and. From there, I just started clawing back as much as I could. A third place at IMS and then another incident. And there was just a bunch of unfortunate events throughout that season that really hindered my competitiveness and competition in the championship and my fight, I mean. But second half of the season came around and we really came alive. Turn 3 Motorsport and I, we, we uh, got four wins across four weekends and was the best driver in the second half of the season. And I think anyone can agree with that. So, you know, coming from 17th place to fourth place is a huge comeback. And I'm, you know, I'm quite proud of that, but results didn't show. So, you know, we, we live and learn, try and move forward. And that's why I'm here in lights to try and progress my career too. Great. And um, your four wins was just one less than Miles. Um, and you very impressive finished fourth in the championship. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being best, how will you rate your season? I'm going to give it a six. I think in terms of my performance, I probably could be a seven or eight. But in terms of the results showing, that's definitely like a three. So it equals out a little bit. But, you know, I, I, can, I can critique my season all, all I want. Still, finishing fourth in the championship is better than 16 other drivers. So solid, I think, in terms of the average and the median of other drivers. Yeah, I, there's def, there was definitely more out there, and I think that's something that we could have improved upon. Very important question. Who is a better racing driver, Michael D'Orlando or Nicholas D'Orlando? Depends who you ask. Well, you I'm ask asking me. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm the better driver, but, you know, 
but it's it's not a competition really. It's we don't want to race each other because if we race each other, we're taking away from me each other's ben- or each other's glory in a sense. You know, it's if if I get a win, then that means Nick cannot win if we race each other. So you know, we try to we try to either be teammates or no, not a competitor at all. And that's the best for both of us. As in, you know, if we get if we both get to IndyCar, then gloves off. We could definitely go for it. But you know, as our as we as we progress our career other careers we don't want to compete with each other as we know one person's benefit is going to be another person's downfall in the competition right and that's always how it's going to be but yeah I, you know I love my brother and I wish him the best in, in his racing career and it's been a shame that he hasn't had a full season since his 2021 F1600 championship and we've been trying to get him a car ever since but budget's budget and we can only afford so much Okay, now this new kid showed up in a few races and surprised a lot of people. Uh, what's your take on Nikita Johnson? It's a great kid, a great driver. Obviously, he's he's a little young. Yeah, <laughs> he's a little young, and I think he he could use a little bit of age to his advantage. Um, I think that's one thing that older drivers, myself and Miles Rowe, and I guess Simon Sykes in that in that that little pile right there. That's something that we have to our advantage. We, we understand when to push, when to not. And I think Nikita's got it. He's got it 98% of the way. And there's that last little bit of refining that I think could, could be done. But, you know, I love, the, I love the kid. And he's a phenomenal driver. Not saying I'm any better. But, yeah. I think he, as he grows up and when he gets to 18 or 20, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with for sure. Okay, now you said you're trying to put together a deal for Indy next next season. If it works out, and I hope it does, uh, what are your expectations and realistic goals? Well, first of all, um, this test wouldn't have happened without Rising Star Racing or Art Wilmes and Rising Star Racing. Um, I'm super thankful for him for making this happen for me. We put this test together early this week or late last week, so it was a last-minute deal. But if we can find... I didn't. Well, I wasn't fortunate enough to win the championship last year to get that scholarship. So we're, you know, as a family with two drivers, it's extremely expensive trying to trying to focus on that. And we're not the most rich of families. So we're working very hard to try and make something happen. Um, we have a couple partners that we're working with, trying to bring home some extra cash for next season. Um, but it's still up in the air. As of as of right now, I might just be sitting or moving to sports cars if I can find a deal with that but if we can make any lights happen there would need to be a significant amount of cash flow in our benefit Okay, of all the races you have won in single seaters, can you tell us about your top three favorite wins? Favorite wins? Oof. What that you're more, most proud of? <sighs> I'm going to say my first win in 2020, mid-Ohio it was against Christian, Christian Rasmussen and he was the championship winner that year and as my as it was my in turn my rookie year, I did a half year in 2018, but so I wouldn't count that. Uh, it was my rookie year, and I ended up getting a win at Mid Ohio. I think it was race two. I was super proud of that. It was the first first time I stood on the top step of the podium in open wheel race cars or in race cars in general. So that's definitely my my biggest moment in terms of my my most proud race. Everything else, I, it. You can kind of almost see it, see it happening. There's there's been a couple hard races that I haven't won that I'm more proud of than winning my we're winning some of these races. So 2021, for example, I I started twelfth twelfth place here at 
uh, IMS, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I worked my way all the way up to second place, and that was arguably my favorite drive. So, yeah, I, I have a lot of, I have a fair bit of wins. I think if you go to driver database, a 13% chance to win a race. But, um, yeah, in terms of my favorite ones, it's not my wins. No, it happens. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your karting experience in Europe and how much difference you felt in the depth of competition between here and uh, European karting? I think the main reason why we went overseas is to get the experience of a different realm of racing. Racing here in the U.S. in karting, my brother and I were a dominant force, and anyone that didn't recognize that was a little naive. And, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but it was true. You know, there's been plenty of races that... Uh, there hasn't been many races since 2011 or 2012 that Nick and I have, haven't been performing in, especially here in the U.S. So going overseas and racing for Bureau Art Factory Team, I was actually teammates with Kyle Collette, one of my teammates here this, uh, today. It was an eye-opening experience. Uh, it was a completely different environment. Uh, very professional, but very competitive. There, there was no sense of, I think, the one reason why I loved racing karting here in the U.S. And maybe it was because I was at a young age. I had that sense of family amongst my, uh, amongst my competitors and my friends. I didn't get that much, so much overseas. And it really showed a different side to the motorsports realm and how how much I had to put on my game face and really work for what I, what I get. I don't think I had the greatest equipment. Granted, maybe that was some part of my driving as well, but we never brought home the results that we did here in the U.S., so it was definitely an eye-opening experience and what I needed to progress my career because when I came back here to the U.S., I was even more dominant. And it prepared me for open wheel racing. Racing with the Cape Brothers for three years in USF 2000 was very reminiscent of my karting days overseas and how competitive they are and how competitive everything here in open wheel and the Euro, and the USF Pro Championships and any next is it, partially why I was so ready for it is because of my experience overseas. I just noticed on your shirt you, next to your name you have the American flag and the Canadian flag. What's the story here? My mom's Canadian. She, she grew up in Sarnia, Ontario. So I am 50% Canadian just by my mom being from there so in terms of how my parents met you can talk to them about that I don't want to I don't want to say the whole story because it's a long one but growing up in New York it was a little it was pretty easy to go back and forth from my family up in Canada to home and, and my family and what was the family choice for breakfast Tim Horton or Krispy Kreme Tim Hortons Tim Hortons is the family choice when you're in when you're in Canada you get your Tim's Thank you so much. Finally, would you have a message for our listeners? And also, please tell them about your social media so they can follow your racing career. Message for my listeners is anyone that wants, that looks at us and looks at drivers like me and other drivers out there right now. We we aren't always the the fortunate ones. We aren't always the ones that just get handed a career. We've worked for it. And to you, I say, pursue your dreams racing here and the Indy Next Car and watching my career progress has been I wouldn't understand my life without racing and that's that's all I have that's everything I want to have being a race car driver has been my dream since I've been a kid and to everyone that's listening if you want to become a race car driver or you want to achieve your dream let me be let me be role model for you to show that you can make it happen with enough determination, enough grit, and enough will. You can accomplish your dreams as I'm living my dream right now. Thank you so much.
Michael, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Back to you, Nasser. Yes, sir. There's always some sort of signing going on at McLaren, so we have more McLaren signing. This time they have signed Stephanie Carlins, somebody I've known for many years, as business operations director. Stephanie has been involved in motorsports for a long time and has been very helpful every time we had to interview somebody from Carlin team, which had included um, in their junior days uh, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz Jr. And the team, Carlin team, uh, was started out by her husband, Trevor Carlin, and I know it was one time sold to Max Chilton's dad, now it's sold to this guy from New Zealand who owns uh, Roden Cars, so now the team is known as Roden Carlin. So our congratulations to uh, uh, Stephanie and hopefully we'll meet her and talk to her and do an interview with her as the commercial director of McLaren. Pretty big job. Okay, sir, the doctor at Le Mans, Valentino Rossi, has joined BMW's team in the World Endurance Championship, VEC Series. It will be great to see him at Le Mans in that beautiful traditional BMW Bavarian colors. Next, we have the Arthur Anderson Report. Numbers don't lie. Credit goes to Liberty Media, Netflix, and perhaps Gunther Steiner for the immense popularity of Formula One around the world these days. These numbers are for the entire days of a Grand Prix weekend. Not surprisingly, the highest number of fans were at Silverstone, about 480,000. Second highest number was at Albert Park, over 444,000. Amazingly, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, made it to the podium with 432,000 folks, ahead of places like Spa, Monza, and Zandvoort, where there is the whole, you know, Mad Max mania going on. Mexico was fourth with just over 400,000, and Spa completed the top five with 380,000 Stella, Artois, and F1 fans. Vegas Baby came in seventh with 315,000 which is more than Monza, which had 304 Paisans show up to cheer the prancing horse. You know, I was very surprised. I was expecting Miami to have more uh, people than uh, Texas. So Kota is in good shape. What say you? No, very exciting. And I, I, I mean, really, the attendance is excellent at all three U.S. Grand Prix. So, no, I think it's wonderful. Formula One is kicking ass in the States. And series like IndyCar should take note. And I think we'll see IndyCar. I think we're going to see NASCAR in Vegas very, very soon. I think the deals are being made right now in the back room, you know, over at the Pink Flamingo. Now we come to the funny 500. Last week, Racer Magazine had a story with a question, who should be replacing IndyCar CEO Mark Miles? Some of the names suggested included Zach Brown and Jay Penske, and Jay Penske is, of course, um, Roger's son, who runs a team in Formula E. I think this is the last person Roger Penske would put in charge of Penske Entertainment. Uh, this one letter was hilarious. The man wrote, Hear me out on this one, but I think with his years of experience and knowledge, the ability to look back on his success and failures, and his passion for IndyCar, Tony G would be a great leader. We would be getting a 60-some-year-old man with experience, 
instead of the 30-year-old man who was unexpectedly put in charge after his grandfather passed away. I don't expect many to agree with me, but one decision 30 years ago should not define a person. Bring back the Buick. This was hilarious. What say you? It's pretty funny stuff. At least somebody's thinking about Tony. Yes, remember we did an interview with Tony George, and he was very nice to me at Sears Point some years ago. Maybe we should do that uh, as from the deep bowels of the archive, as you say. That's a really good idea. I might just put it on right now, Nasser. Okay, I'm here with Tony George, bossman of IndyCar Racing. Tony, um, after the reunification, what are the main short-term and long-term goals, please? Well, we're, right now we're just trying to uh, assimilate you know, two racing organizations into one, and it's gone fairly well so far this year. You know, right now we've got a lot of opportunity, I think, to, to build on the momentum that we've created by unification uh, in 2008. We've got our schedule announced and committed for 2009, and um, we're looking forward to the exciting things that, that we see coming down the road. We've got uh, some new broadcast partners, some some uh, continuity with ABC staying involved in IndyCar. We've got a lot of interest from new car owners, and, and hopefully uh, to go along with that, we'll have some some uh, renewed sponsorship interests that will allow us to really keep this all moving forward. One event that is missing from your schedule is the Australian race. Any chance it might come back, Surfers Paradise, which was so popular with everybody? Well, we're certainly working uh, with the folks in Surfers to try and you know, make sure that that event comes off well this October and um, can, can be made to be part of, of the IndyCar series going forward. It's something that, that uh, is not done yet, and it's not been announced as part of our 09 schedule. Beyond that, I really can't comment much on it until, you know, we, we see how some of the uh, discussions that have been taking place play out. I know there's a lot of work to do, like you mentioned. Regarding the engine package, would you prefer to have a turbo engine or a normally aspirated? Um, I don't know that it matters to me. I'm, I'm, I'm open to whatever direction the league thinks is the best direction to go because of uh, manufacturer interest. I think there's, you know, a 50-50 or better chance that we'll be looking at turbos. Um, but again, to me, I don't think it really matters. I think we need to have uh, a solid engine package that we can, you know, build around for the next three to five years. And I think it needs to, you know, accomplish all of our objectives. And I think you know, that's horsepower, tunability, and, and um, you know, I think uh, having a pleasant-sounding engine is, is important. And how you arrive at that... Uh, I'll leave to the experts to figure out. Recently, you had a meeting of engine manufa auto manufacturers. How soon can we see uh, more than Honda as an engine supplier? I don't have an answer to that. We're going to have more meetings here in the next uh, 30 days. We'll see where those meetings take us. And I think it would be 2011, most likely. I think Honda's on board through 2010. I think there's a good possibility you'll see more than Honda involved in the series uh, starting in 2011. I came to every Formula One race at your track. Uh, when can we see Formula One back? I don't know. I think it's too late for 2009. It was my hope that it would be in 2009. But uh, right now I think we, we shift the focus to 2010, and hopefully that will become reality uh, 
for all those like myself who've enjoyed having it at Indianapolis and want to see it come back. Uh, the track has seen great Indy 500. Uh, which one was your favorite? Uh, they're all my favorite. I mean, the, 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 every year I, I get excited at the start of the race, and it's, it's one of the true great sporting events in the world. And You know, each one holds something different, and, uh, you know, to me they're all special. I must thank you and your staff because I have been there for the 500 also. It's a very fan-friendly place, and I hope you guys, uh, you know, keep it that way. Uh, one more question for you, please. Uh, you also raced, and I remember you from your racing days. What was the highlight of your racing career? I didn't really have any highlights. Uh, I just You said that, it. not me. I just enjoyed it. Uh, I wish I would have started younger and been able to do it longer, but uh, such is not the case. Finally, how about a message for listeners of F1 Weekly, please? I uh, hope everyone enjoys listening to F1 Weekly, and uh, it's nice talking to you. Thank you. Our shout-outs last week. Let's get through them now. The podcasters at F1Weekly.com. There you go. Uh, now we come to famous last words. Oh, this is another beauty. This is a Polish piroshki, which is a doozy prepared by Robert Kubica. He was asked about his opinion on Formula E, and he responded, and I quote, Formula E is like making love with an inflatable doll, end quote. So no Brembo, just Bimbo. Sir, before we go into musical Montreal, would you have anything to say about uh, today's podcast, tomorrow, the next season, Kelly Piquet, Danica Patrick? Well, I've already done my, my Kelly Piquet. You have to congratulate Danica Patrick for having a great contributing season with formula one on the television always looked really good i love danica so on that note it's been a great season i've loved it and it's going to be like this next year so i mean i don't know what people are thinking but you know once we get into 2024 we'll be reflecting on the decade that's passed and of course that would bring us to like 2014 2014 had some hilarious moments i mean think about it spa Nico Rosberg, LCH, second lap. I mean, there was a lot of fun in 2014. So the reflection on 2014 will be fun. We might be doing that on this podcast. But other than that, hey, I'm taking a break. I've been doing my shopping, buying calendars for all my friends. So there you go, Ness. Yes, sir. So now we come to Musical Mondial. Today we feature a moment in motorsports history. Sir, you know, the diehard fans, also known as junkies of Formula One like you and I, we can never forget uh, the Mika Hakkinen pass on Michael Schumacher at Spa. You know, it's one for the ages. And just like Diego Maradona had this uh, hand of God in a goal, uh, there is a thing called Lap of the Gods, which was the opening lap of the 1993 European Grand Prix at Donington in heavy rain. So I thought uh, we should play that as Musical Mondial today. It was a race that I was watching with my two buddies and we just kept looking at each other when some guy who dropped to fifth, every corner he was gaining a place and before the clap was over he had taken the lead. So I hope uh, folks enjoy this opening lap of the 1993 European Grand Prix at Donington and we will leave it to Murray Walker and James Hunt. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Gracias. When you see the red, it will be from four to seven seconds before the green and the start of the 76th lap. European Grand Prix. Cross gets away well. So does Phil. So does Schumacher. 
and Ventlinger is coming up well, Senna is crowded out and is down to fifth position and Ventlinger is up into third place ahead of Schumacher, brilliant start by the Austrian driver in the Black Sauber, Prost leads, Hill second, Ventlinger is third and Ayrton Senna is up to fourth position ahead of Schumacher and challenging Ventlinger as they go round the right-hander into the old hairpin, Senna is up to third. And after being crowded at the start, a quite brilliant couple of corners by Ayrton Senna. Tremendous stuff. He muscled his way back into the contention at Redgate. He's going inside Damon Hill. And Senna into second place already. And he's giving it absolutely everything in the wet part of the race. So now, as before, the two great rivals, and that's Andretti. He's done it again on the very first lap. Andretti is out as he was in Brazil, as he almost was in South Africa. Three Grand Prix and he has only done three full laps. And so out is Wendlinger. So two retirements already. Uh, Michael Andretti and Carl Wendlinger. As, and Senna goes through into the lead. He's passed Alain Prost. So the McLaren leads. Prost second. Hill is third. A tremendous gap between the third and fourth cars. Yes, and that must be caused by the Andretti uh, and Wendlinger incident. We would assume that they may, may have had a coming together. We will try and find out. Senna going away, but I expect that Damon Hill will be looking for a way past his team leader, Alain Prost, who doesn't like the wet and won't be in a hurry.